It is great to see you. Kind of a kind of a full section here tonight. Blessings to you. Thank you for scooching in, Natalie. Great reading. Thank you so much uh, for that. And the worship team. You know, I just want to say thank you to them for taking your time. Thank you for not rushing us through that. Thank you for letting us bask in the presence of the Holy Spirit and being sensitive. Uh, I also want to just thank some of the people who. On Friday night, of course, Pastor Mike really oversaw the whole evening community events putting together. Ula, Joanna, Melissa, so many others um, that we saw helping there, Thomas and, and others. But I also want to say thank you to, to, uh, to Teo because he, uh, he was so sweet. I grabbed the broom and I started sweeping the floor afterwards and he was sweet. He said, no, let me grab that, Pastor. He took it and he said, I'm going I'm to be, be cleaning it anyway. <laughs> So you might as well let me clean it the right way. You know, it's like, okay, well. So thank you for helping me uh, understand that. Welcome those of you in the house tonight. Welcome everybody watching online, King's Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, around the world. We do have some great countries that are watching tonight. Um, they couldn't be with us in the house, but they are with us online from Austria, from Brazil, from Canada. Yeah, okay, got that real quiet Canada thing there. All right, let's see anybody from Chile. No, Chile, France. One, okay, good. Remember, these are online people, but you can chip in in the house tonight. Uh, Germany, no, very quiet Germans. Hungary, India, Ireland, Israel. <laughs> Kenya, Malaysia, Malta, the Netherlands. Woo! Holland, right, last name, okay. Norway, Singapore, Slovakia, South Africa, Switzerland, Taiwan, Trinidad and Tobago, welcome, all right, United States, United Kingdom, and many others are joining us tonight. What a great group. We probably have about 30 countries or so joining us tonight. What a great night. We're in the Word of God. Your finger is in the book of Exodus. Most of tonight's passages will be from Exodus, so just keep your finger there. I'll tell you the chapters as we jump around. And a special welcome to our visitors in the house tonight, Norby Mayfield, good to see you. Blessings to you and the whole Barnabas team and the group here, Pastor Mark, good to see you as well. Thank you for those burgers we had at your house not too long ago. Those were great, thank you. And uh, I heard something about the Atlanta Braves, but I'm not gonna say anything about that. I think we're sitting right over here. If anybody knows that, amen. Hallelujah, a little tomahawk chop there. Let it trickle a little bit, baseball fans, yeah. Lean over, tell your neighbor what that was all about. That was like a Holy Spirit thing he's doing? What is that? Is that Jewish-Israeli worship? What's happening? No, we're a Braves fan. That's what we, we're doing. All right. So our opening verse, it's our key verse for the whole series. We're in a series called, We Are the Temple of God. And that comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19 and 20, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. And our goal in this particular series is to look at what it means to be the temple of God, not just in the terms of purity, that's, that's an obvious direction we could go, not just in terms of purity, but what does it mean to be a temple? What does it mean to house the dwelling place of God? All the articles in the temple. You see, friends, for years we've taught that God doesn't do things randomly. He doesn't do things on accident. He doesn't make things just because. He has a purpose for everything he does. He thinks ahead. He knows the end from the beginning. And when he does something or instructs us to do something, he has a great purpose behind it. So when he builds the tabernacle with those instructions and he tells us the articles that should be in it, the colors we should use, the curtains we should make, every one of them has a purpose. You know, it's not just the, uh, the decoration gift that God had. It wasn't saying like, hey, Make this with gold, make with silver and bronze. You know, and let's, you hear this a lot when you watch the decorating shows. Let's get a splash of color. <laughs> you know, you want to hear another one? Let's bring the outdoors in. They love to do that. But, you know, why don't you just go outdoors? You know, I don't know. They, they want to bring the outdoors in all the time. You could just go outdoors. Can we bring the indoors out? I don't know how that works. But he's not, he's not just making it to make it. 
He's not just giving instructions just to give them. They mean something when God makes them and gives instructions. And when he calls you that thing, you better pay attention to what it is. There's a lot of things in the Bible he doesn't call you. You know what? You're not the way. You're not the truth. You're not the life. You're not the door. But you are the temple. And you better pay attention to what that means. Last week, we kicked this off with the temple. We gave a broad overview of, first of all, the commanded tabernacle. And remember, some of you uh, emailed me, so thank you this week. You said, I, I, I never put two and two together. You said last week God commanded the tabernacle, but he never commanded the temple. Correct. The temple was a request by King David that God granted him. He allowed King Solomon to build the plans that David wrote, but God never commanded the temple. He commanded the tabernacle. But he did command all of the articles in the temple, and he did affirm the temple by letting his presence dwell there. That was a sign of saying, yes, I receive this the way your heart meant it to be. So last week we went over an overview of the tabernacle and temple. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That's the implication to our lives. We talked about the first temple, the second temple, which was smaller, and then the second temple, version B, which was larger. After Herod got a hold of it and expanded it, we even talked about the tabernacle in heaven that was seen, right? We didn't do a lot of discussion on the third temple, but we believe there will be a third temple here on, on earth. And then we noted that in the New Jerusalem, there was no temple because we're there and Yeshua's there. And between the two of us, we didn't need a temple anymore. We're both there, right? You have us, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you have him, the great high priest and the sacrifice. What do we need a building for? That's in the New Jerusalem. We also said that we are to be a center point for testimonies to the outside world. That's what the temple stood for. So tonight, we're gonna turn our attention to a very popular topic and a very famous topic, the Ark of the Covenant. There may not be anything more famous about the temple than the Ark of the Covenant, right? So let's look at this, Exodus chapter 25. We're gonna look at the instructions about the tabernacle first and then we're gonna work our way inward to the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. But we're gonna start with the tabernacle just so you have context, Exodus 25, one through nine. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze. Ushers, we could go ahead and pass the plate again. We'll receive gold, <laughs> silver, and bronze. That'd be great. Also blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and other types of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the fragrant incense, excuse me, mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And that's where we understand the text that Moses got to see the tabernacle in heaven. Remember, Yeshua did not only die here in Jerusalem around Passover season, but the Bible indicates that he went to the heavenly temple and provided the once and for all perfect sacrifice there. So we would confirm there is a tabernacle slash temple in heaven. Do we have a picture of the tabernacle? I think we have one. I gave you a couple of pictures tonight. Look, this is the tabernacle, and this is just one rendering. You can find hundreds of them online. But notice there's an outer court. That's the big wall around it. Then there's a lot of the, uh, the altar and the burnt offering here. And then once you get inside the tent, there is the holy place. And then far back at the back of the tent, there is the holy of holies, the most holy place. So this is what we're talking about. The holy of holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now Moses is taking up an offering. He's saying, listen, I've gotta build this thing because God just showed me an example in heaven, so I gotta build it. So I gotta have some help. So why don't you guys bring your offering, and then from whatever we bring, we'll see how far we can get. 
Sounds like a good fundraising strategy. And the people start to bring offerings. They could only build it with what they had because there were no banks in the desert. Did you know that? How did they do it? There were no banks, no ATMs. They had to get it done together. They didn't have anybody else to turn to at this point. We follow that up in Exodus chapter 36, starting in verse four. Look what happens after he takes the the offering. Exodus 36, four. So all of the skilled workers who were doing all of the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work of the Lord that he's commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all of the work. Father, one day that would be great. Wouldn't that be a great testimony? Here comes Pastor Chad. He's about to take up the offering tonight. Guys, don't need it. Put it back in your wallet. There's too much. We have so much. We don't have any place to store all of the gold and silver and bronze you bought tonight. You know, the stacks of money, they're too high. We can't carry them around. This is what Moses had to do. I mean, it's, it's unfathomable that somebody would have to do that. Tell them, please stop. We, don't have, we can't, I mean, what are we going to do? We got, I'm only supposed to build, build one tabernacle. <laughs> I can't build three of them, you know? But this is what happens when people catch the vision of God. And they caught the vision here. And I thought for us there was a quick moment to just pause and be a new covenant community together on this. Because friends, you understand, similarly today, we can only build a great congregation from the strengths of the people who sow into the vision of this great congregation. We'll, we'll never have you know, so much money where we say stop bringing it. We've never had that yet, may, you know, may that be. We've never had that yet. But we can only build what God told us to build with the people who agree to participate. And if you're in the house tonight and you have not participated, we're gonna invite you to participate. Because this is not a production up here. This is not what we're doing, it's not a show. You didn't come tonight and nor did we expect you to come tonight and buy your ticket and sit there quietly and just enjoy the show. We expect you to build into this community, so into this congregation, so into the network of King of Kings so that we can bless other people. We wanna do what God has told us to do, but we can't do it without you. Many of you have been so faithful through the years, so thank you, but some of you are new to the community. We're gonna invite you deeper and deeper. Don't stay in the outer circle, come deeper. Don't stay in that outer court, come closer. Be part of the family. Get connected to a community group. Go to discipleship class. Take some prayer time in the summit. Give your tithes and offerings. Find a place to serve. Become a member at King of Kings. You know, there's a point in time where I had this funny thought. Recently, I've been working with a lot of young men. And in today's generation, I'm not gonna go into why, but in today's generation, a lot of the young men, no pressure in the room. Oh, I can feel the young men sweating it right now. Oh, pastor, where are you headed with this? The young men, shall we say today, are a little reluctant to move forward in commitment. So I was sitting with one young man recently, and we were talking about the girl he was dating. And he was telling me how great she was, and I was listening. I said, how long have you been together? He said, uh, six years. I said, but I thought you, you said she was so amazing. Those don't seem to match. Is she so amazing or is she not so amazing? If she's so amazing, you know, six years to make a decision. I said, tell me this, what else are you waiting to learn? And he said, well, well, nothing. I said, then get married. 
or leave her alone. So about a month later, yeah, I saw the girls clapping right there. We, we did lock the back door. The gentleman can't get out right now. Just keep it locked. Ushers, just hold it there. About a month later, that young man's brother, the, a brother, the same guy, came to me. I need some advice. Really? You want some advice from me? Are you sure? Did you hear what I told your brother? How long you been with this girl? She's amazing. Yeah, I've heard this story before. How long you been with her? I've been with her seven years. What are you waiting to find? What are you waiting to learn? Oh, nothing. Get married. I feel that sometimes about people in the community. I'm like, come on already. Hey, let's get let's get on the ball. I'm not trying to put pressure on you, but stop dating somebody for so long. Make a commitment. Can I just say it in love? Stop just eating the feast every week. Be part of the kingdom. Be part of the family. Be part of the community. Serve, give, be part of it. Go to something. Help someone else. This is not all about you. Please. If there's anything else you need to learn, just email me. I'll tell you. Stop dating me for this long. Let's go. (laughs) This is coming from a guy who Barely made it six months before I proposed to my wife. I was like, you need to learn anything else? I'll tell you. What do you want to know? Let's move along. Amen. So you heard my heart. That was a, that was a community moment sponsored by Pastor Chad. But listen, if you want to know more, we have two big things happening. On December 11th, we're, we're having a dinner, and we are talking to our community group leaders. That's our small groups. And anybody who's interested in becoming a small group leader or anyone who is interested in hosting a small group, please come to that dinner. Be part of this. And then in January 11th, so just December 11th, January 11th, we're having our annual membership meeting. The only people who get to speak at that meeting are members. If you would like to learn more, become a member, come to that meeting, we'll tell you more, amen. We can only do together what God has called us to do if we do it together. And that's what Moses was finding out in this section on the tabernacle. So now let's dive into the tabernacle. We're gonna read a little bit more about the Ark of the Covenant. Exodus 25, verse 10. It says, have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, and a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles out of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and on the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. And the cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. There above the cover between the two cherubim, that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So we might say, okay, let's break down this Ark. This is a very important piece of the tabernacle and temple. Where is the Ark? Well, the Ark is inside the Holy of Holies. It's not in the outer court. It's not in the inner court. It's in the very closest, smallest, most private area called the Holy of Holies. I think we have a picture of the internal. Yeah, so there's the internal diagram of the, of the tabernacle. And notice this is the Ark of the Covenant all the way at the back in the most private area. 
Exodus 26, 33 says, hang the curtain from the clasps and place the Ark of the Covenant of the law behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place, or it separates the holy place from the holy of holies. The second temple, different than the tabernacle and, and the first temple, the second temple had a court of the women, it had a court of the Gentiles, so they, they kinda took some liberties with that one and they built on some extra things, but the Lord still honored the work. Now the ark of the Lord was made out of acacia wood and completely covered in gold. If you've never seen acacia wood, this is the beautiful wood. If you've never worked with it, it's pretty good to work with. It's kind of a finished product. You don't make a lot of rough building out of acacia wood, but you do make finished product because it's so pretty. It sands and polishes and, 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 and the, the shine on it shows really well, brings out the grains of the wood beautifully. Now what was inside of this famous ark? Well, we just read in Exodus 25, I'm not gonna have to read it again, the tablets, the tablets of stone, the covenant tablets were placed inside of the ark, but that's not all that was inside of it. In Numbers chapter 17, you're gonna find that Aaron's staff was also there. You say, well what was so important about Aaron's staff? Well, quick recap. When Moses was leading the people of Israel out of Egypt and they're in the desert, there was a man named Korah. And Korah decides that he could be a better leader than Moses. And he steps up against Moses and he causes division. Come on, congregation. He causes division in the people. And God said, all right, bring Korah, his family, and anybody else who listened to him and have him stand right there. And then it says, bring a leader from every tribe to me and give me a staff. So apparently everybody walked around with staffs. That's what I gleaned from that passage. So if I show up next week with a staff, no, I'm just kidding, I'm not gonna do that. And they placed the leader of every tribe, they put their staff right there in front, uh, in, the, in the tabernacle, and they went to bed. And when they came back the next day, only Aaron's staff had budded back to life. You know, because the staff is made out of cut wood, it's dead. But his staff came back to life. Not only did it bloom green leaves, it also bloomed the, the almonds. Wouldn't that be weird? You go in there and all of a sudden something that was dead is alive and it's growing. And what God was saying there was, I will decide who's the authority in this community. Everything in the ark has a meaning. You are the temple of God. You need to know what that meaning is. So we have the tablets of stone. We have Aaron's staff. And according to Exodus 16, we have the manna from heaven. Isn't that amazing? You know, the manna would fall from heaven and they would, they would collect it every day and eat it. And they were never supposed to keep it till the morning because maggots would get on it. Except on the Sabbath and then God would do a miracle. And on, as Friday night approached, you were allowed to, to gather twice as much. And somehow God did a miracle on Sabbath day where it would last for two days. So God could control how fast or how slow the manna would decay. Just imagine that every Saturday evening when you're still eating the manna, you're like, only God could do this. And then, to go a step further with the manna, he tells Moses, take the manna, put it in a jar, and put it inside the ark for hundreds of years. Now that's some good food preservation. But notice that God is the one who decides to turn up the dial or turn down the dial. If he says keep it one day, keep it one day. He says keep it two days, keep it two days. If he says keep it 400 years, keep it 400 years. What a great provider. Other parts of the ark, you know, there's the, the, the cherubim angels there on the atonement cover, there's the rings on the side, there's the poles to, 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 to hold it. Do we have a picture of, of the ark? Yeah, so that's just one rendering of a thousand renderings. But look, that's got the basics of it, right? The rings were permanent, the poles were slid in, you've got the box of acacia wood covered in gold, you have the angels, the wings touching, everything that you've come to know. Exodus chapter 40, verse two and three says, set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and catch this, set it up on the first day of the first month and place the Ark of the Covenant law in it and shield the Ark with the curtain. You say, Pastor, why, did, why was that little verse so important to you? 
because you, all of the activity of the ark, all of the activity of the tabernacle were commanded to, to start on the first day of the first month of God's calendar. Friends, he doesn't do things by accident. If you have not caught the vision yet of God's calendar, I'm encouraging you tonight to catch the vision of God's calendar. It may be different than the country that you live in, but I can promise you whose calendar's better. Because God's calendar starts things like the work of the tabernacle. It starts things like the sanctity of the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. It starts things like the Sabbath day, the Sabbath year, the year of Jubilee, and all of the festivals of God are all calculated based on God's calendar. He doesn't so much care about your calendar. And all the while we're out here living life by someone else's calendar, forsaking all of God's word. We pretend that that doesn't even pertain to us. It was written in the Old Testament. Surely it doesn't pertain to us. Except if you were to read the New Testament, you would find that Yeshua, his disciples, and his apostles all lived by God's calendar. That's why they were in the upper room on the right day and received the Holy Spirit. But isn't it interesting that the ark and the tabernacle come into action on God's appointed day, first day of the first month of my calendar? I'm gonna encourage you to start paying attention to that as you read the word. Don't let it pass by you. Now, let's get into the meanings of these things. I'm gonna take it one by one. Some of these are gonna be very obvious. Some of them are gonna be a little less obvious and we're, we're gonna close it out with a new revelation I hope you get tonight. But we're gonna take them one at a time and each one won't take long. Let's start with the atonement cover. The atonement cover is where the presence of God rested. Leviticus 16 verse two says, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover of the ark or else he will die for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. So all of Israel knows when somebody says where's the presence of God, they point, he's over there. All of the nations around Israel would come and visit and they would say we've heard about this this God of yours that defeated the Egyptians, that split the Red Sea, that fed you in the wilderness. We heard he's here, where is he? Right over there. They all knew exactly where he was because he followed through with his commitment. He said, if you'll make me the ark and you'll make me the holy of holies, I will put my presence in, I will rest right there and you will never again be concerned that I'm not with you. But you gotta do it my way. Don't do it your way. And Moses would say, but can Aaron come in whenever he wants? No, you don't do it your way. You don't come in like that. You come in according to my laws, according to my ways. You might say, man, God, he just seems kind of picky, a little naggy, you know. But don't forget who's seen the end from the beginning. And he has a point, he has a purpose. And if you have not grabbed that in faith yet, you're missing something. When you trust in God, you trust in him all the way. The Bible is full of verses that say, hey, we don't do this halfway. We don't date for seven years. We don't do it halfway. Get in and get in all the way. Marry me, God would say. Come all the way into my family. We don't do it halfway, and if your faith is halfway, then you're not in. You know, maybe it hurt somebody's feelings. I'm just quoting the word of God. If you're halfway in, you're not in. That's like being half engaged. Try that one on your lady. Right? I dated you for five years. I'd like to get half engaged now. I'd like to buy myself another five years. Here's half a ring, by the way. It's... She'd probably say, well, here's half a kiss. <laughs> good, you're with me. That's good. 
The atonement cover is where the presence of God rested, and it was a commitment and a promise to the Israelites that if you do it my way, here's the meaning for you. Listen, we're making application now. Here's the meaning for you. If you will do it my way, you will never have to be concerned that I'm not with you. If you will do it my way. And you can test me in that, he would say. Test me, but do it my way. Did you know also that the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant, what's amazing about that is it wasn't the first time that God's presence had rested there so heavily. That's the same location where Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed. And then God provided the ram. Same spot, same physical location. Did you also know that's the same location of Jacob's ladder when he saw the angels going to and from heaven? There's some kind of open heaven portal right there above the Holy of Holies. Wouldn't that make sense? It's like the pillar of cloud just burned a hole through the ozone right up to heaven. It's also the place where King David was at the threshing floor of Aruna when God stopped the plague on the Israelites. Same location. God knows what he's doing. That's why we listen to him. He knows what he's doing. Now what about these cherubim? What about the, the angels with the, the wings are touching? Did you also know that they're not only at the ark, but they're also sewn into the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies from the holy place? It's on the curtain. Now these were really tall curtains. They were like 40 feet high, if you know feet which was one of the amazing things that when Yeshua died on the cross, remember, they tore, the curtains tore, but the Bible is very specific how high the curtains were, how thick they were, and that they tore from top to bottom. Check your Bible out. They tore from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. Why? Because God wanted to point out that he did that. From bottom to top, I could have cut it and then ripped it. But 40 feet up in the air, I'm like, I can't get up there. And God said, I'll, I'll take care of this one, top to bottom. You know, giving us access to his presence, which is what he wanted. But the cherubim are a continual sign of guarding the presence of God. They're on the ark because they guard his presence. They're on the curtain because they guard the holy of holies. And they were in the Garden of Eden, too. Genesis 3, 24, it says, after God drove out Adam and Eve, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden the cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So when you see the angels like this, the cherub, they're always guarding the presence of God. You say, well, what does that have to do with me? Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Yeshua, the Messiah. You need to be guarded. Why do you need to be guarded? Because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if he guarded that temple, he wants you to guard your temple. He doesn't do accidents, he doesn't do random. These weren't decorations. They were meaningful, symbolic, prophetic elements that you were supposed to grab, meditate on, and let God show you what it means to you. The, the atonement cover for his presence, the cherub that's supposed to guard your heart and your mind because you are the temple of God. Don't let anything unholy come in here. Guard it. We're called to put on the armor of God, we know that. Sticking with some application, the rings and the poles, right? There's one you're like, no, that can't have any, that can't have any meaning. That's boring. Watch this. Second Samuel. Actually, it might be in First Samuel. What do my notes say? Yeah, Second Samuel. Chapter six. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah, reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against him because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. What happened? Well, King David, at the time, he was putting on this festival to move the ark. He did some things he wasn't supposed to do, and one of the things he wasn't supposed to do was move the ark in any other fashion than to pick it up on the poles. That was the only way God allowed you to move it. But David, for whatever reason, he puts the ark on a cart, and the horses are pulling the cart, and one of them stumbles, and the ark starts to teeter-totter. 
It's a very good English word. You need to know that word. Teeter-totter. And this guy named Uzzah, who's, I don't, I mean, maybe he just reacted. And it starts to fall, and he reaches out and touches it. And God said, I didn't say you could do that. That is the holy ark. My presence rests there. You don't get to do it your way. And he dies. This is one of the stories most unbelievers don't understand because they're like, but he was still trying to do a nice thing. He should have never been put in that situation. But what do we learn from that? What is the, what is the takeaway? What is the application here? Well, there's no touching the ark because the Bible tells you the problem. It says, my presence is holy. You are to come into my presence with reverence, with humility, thanksgiving and praise and repentance. That's how you come into my presence. Don't come into my presence until you do those things. That has to be the right heart. You see, when we come into the, the presence of God, and here's the application, we're called to come into his presence, whether it's worship, a private devotion time with your family, your community group, whatever. We come in with thanksgiving and praise. We come in with humility. We come in with reverence because he is holy and we are not. And this world, including the worldwide body of Messiah, I think we've forgotten how holy God is. We're going to let people come up here, not up here, but in other platforms, and preach things against the word of God. Oh, maybe a man can marry a man. And just deny the truth of the word of God from the front. We've forgotten how holy God is. And that's the application. Don't ever forget how holy God is. He's not common. He loves you, but don't ever treat him like common. You better revere him every time you go into his presence. You revere him. Here's our key phrase of the night according to this. God is not common, although he is approachable. He says, come to me anytime you want, guys, but come with the right heart attitude. Come with reverence. Come with Repentance, come with humility. That's the application. We come into his presence with those things. You see, even the rings and the poles teach us a profound principle about God. This is why you gotta read slowly. Don't read fast through the Bible. Read slow. Some of you are like, man, I'm glad he said that. I read slow. Hallelujah. We get to the tablets of stone. These are pretty easy to see. It's the God's perfect law. It's his covenant agreement. You understand that, that in a lot of cases in the ancient times when there was a, a, an agreement amongst the nation, they would write the agreement and one of the agreements would stay in the king's house and the other agreement would stay in the city square so that the people could understand what the king wrote and the king would make an agreement with the people. It wasn't that different with God. When he wrote the tablets, he was basically saying, I'm making a covenant commitment to you. I know where my copy is. Do you know where your copy is? And he's reminding us of the goodness of his word. King David said in Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. If that is not your heart, when you read the Bible, ask God to change your heart. Our heart should be as joyful as King David's when we read the Bible, including when we read laws and statutes and commandments and guidelines, because all of them are written for us to prosper. I promise you, God does not need to prosper, right? If you're the creator of the universe, I think you're doing well. You're good. Everything in the word is for us. It's not for him. The manna. The manna was in the ark. This reminds us of John 6 where Yeshua declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Matthew 6, give us today our daily bread. And it just reminds us that God is the daily bread. You should be with God every day. Please do not wait for Sundays. 
This, listen, we've always taught our kids, we say, listen, when you are in the presence of God, that is your meal. When you come to congregation, it's just a vitamin. We're helping you, we're helping you a little bit more with things maybe you didn't have at home. It's really hard to have the team up here at home. Wouldn't that be great? Wake up in the morning, grab your coffee. Hit it, Melissa, let's go. <laughs> Pastor Ray, give me an intro, come on. <laughs> Woo, in my living room. Probably more of us would get up in the morning and do our devotion time, right? <laughs> Daily bread, go to the Lord. We talked about Aaron's staff. Aaron's staff was God saying, listen, I have a principle, and the principle is I will choose who the leaders will be. Now, sometimes you'll agree with them, sometimes you won't. Sometimes you'll understand them, and sometimes you won't. But I choose leaders who move my history forward. Because I have a plan. Remember, I've known the end from the beginning. I'm trying to get us to the end. So sometimes I put leaders in place you don't understand. Maybe you don't agree with. But that's why God reiterates in the New Testament, I'm the one that sets in kings and authorities. Because I'm moving history forward. And he was telling the Israelites, you don't complain against Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And Aaron's staff budded to remind us all that God chooses his leaders. Husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, business owners, employees, group leaders, directors of ministries, elders, deacons, pastors, God is putting you in these roles and we're all accountable to someone. Let me move to my last main point. Thank you guys for letting me add on a few things tonight. In the period of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies, but remember that every so often, the pillar of cloud and fire would move. So what would happen is, the Israelites were commanded to break down the tabernacle, take the curtains off the poles, wrap them up, put the poles together, move all the articles, and they would move the camp and the tabernacle to a new location. You know what that meant? It meant that every once in a while, all of the Israelites got to see the ark. Hmm. Every once in a while, it probably wasn't so much like, oh man, we gotta move again, we gotta pack this up. I'm so tired of doing this. It was probably more like, we get to pack this up. Does that mean the ark is coming out today? We get to see the ark. It was the living proof of God's presence in front of the people. It reminded them, there he is, he's right there. But something changed in the temple because once we made it permanent, it could never come out again. What did that mean? That, mean, that meant the people didn't get to see it anymore because only one person got to see it. The high priest could go in once a year. Remember what the Bible says. He got to go in once a year, one person. And I don't know that that was God's highest will because it seems like from the word he never asked for a temple. Maybe he knew what would happen. Instead of letting the people see it every once in a while, now it was, it was kind of locked away and you didn't get to see it. You didn't get to interact with it the same way as, as they did before. But I found this verse and I'd really never seen it before and I'd never meditated on it before and it's our last verse of the night so just stick with me. Leviticus chapter 16. Verse 17. It says, no one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time that Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Now remember, the Ark of the Covenant went out in front of the army, remember? They would, everybody got to see it, it was out there. And it would move when the camp would move and it would be in front of the army and it would, it would be out when the Jordan River would part and it was part of our life and now it's kind of locked away and only the high priest can go in once a year. But even when the high priest went in, whether it was tabernacle or temple, they had to clear all of the courts. Think about how sobering that is. They all had to be clear. It was like Aaron had to go in and, and his subsequent children and high priest, 
It wasn't like normal where they were all in the outer court and they, the Levites were in the inner court and then nobody could go into the Holy of Holies so we all did it together. In this moment, when Aaron went to the Holy of Holies to the Ark of the Covenant, not only was he the only one in there, they had to clear out the rest of the courts. Everybody out, everybody out, everybody out. That's how holy God is. Because he was saying, I'm about to open this curtain. Everybody out. And when I was meditating on it, this is what the Lord brought to my attention. He said, listen, the most important moments of your life are gonna be done alone. I said, wait, that, that doesn't sound like how we teach community. Listen to me, watch me. We were never meant to be alone. We were never meant to live alone. We're never meant to move forward in our life alone, and yet the biggest decisions of your life will always be made alone. N not, not between you alone with somebody else, because you need a team around you to give you good counsel. The biggest decisions of your life will always be made alone between you and God. Now hear me. Don't ever stop meeting together as a community. Don't ever stop getting counsel from your, your team and your mentors and your pastors and your leaders. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is at the moment of salvation, at the moment of atonement, it was high priest alone. He was alone with the ark. That must have been scary. And sometimes we read the passages about the bells. Remember they put the string in the bells just in case he wasn't holy enough or God didn't accept him or he was unpure. He would die on the spot and they would hear the bells stop moving and they would pull him out. Well, sometimes you think that they're, they're right outside the, right? You think that they're right outside the curtain. Is he jingling? Yeah, he's jingling. All right, he's still good. He's still alive? You good, Aaron? All right, keep jingling. And you think like he's right here. Everybody had to clear the court. You know how long that rope was? I mean, now you gotta think about it differently, right? Now, whoa, you know. Why? Because the mo most important moments of your life will always be done alone between you and God. Your devotion time, there is no substitute ever for your alone time with God, ever. Not a worship service, not a conference, not an online blog or anything else you can pick up. Your alone time with God needs to be non-negotiable. When you stand before God on the day of judgment, that court is empty. It's you and God. See, I told you there's application in everything God does. And when you made that commitment to the Lord, if you're a believer in Messiah Yeshua, no one else could make that commitment for you. It was you and God. And at those crucial, life-changing, universal moments for you and your future, it will always be you alone with the ark. And that's what we learn here from the text. In those moments, it will be you alone with the ark. You and God. We love to do community life together. You saw Friday night, community groups and discipleship classes, the summit, the soup kitchen and all of the King of Kings network locations and campuses and leadership training. We love to do it together because we were never meant to be alone. And that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about living life alone here. We're talking about in the crucial moments of decision. It will always be, be between you and God. I remember when I, I made the decision to, to marry Rebecca, I was alone with God. It basically went like this. God, I've been trying not to think about her, really trying to focus and be a good guy, trying to be holy, focus on your word, go to congregation. How come I can't stop thinking about her? He said, this is what he said. He heard the Lord whisper to me twice in my life. He, he whispered in my ear. I was in my car. Because I made you to love her. Turned my car around, drove to her house, knocked on her door. Please don't ever do this. <laughs> knocked on her door. She came to the door. And I said, remember what I told you? I said, I'm going to marry you. We hadn't even dated yet. 
I'm being honest. Don't do that. <laughs> Gentlemen, don't do that. The difference was I heard the voice of God. That's the difference. But that decision was made between me and God alone. I was in the Holy of Holies at that moment. I was sitting right in front of the ark, talking to God, pouring out my heart. God, what do you want me to do? I'm here. I'm yours. Take my whole life. I, I don't, it's all for you, God. What do you want me to do? And he will answer you because his presence rests on the ark, and he's promising you that if you'll do it his way, you will never have to be concerned about his presence again. It will be in your life. Can we pray? Stand to your feet. Let's pray over this. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Father, we just want to say thank you for your presence in our life. Thank you that you trusted us to put your Holy Spirit in us, that we could be your temple tonight. We thank you for the ark and all of its symbolism from the, from the, ang the angelic host of the cherubim and what they mean to guard the presence in our life, to keep our lives pure, to the atonement cover that promises your presence will always be with us to the rings and the poles that remind us of your holiness and the, the reverence and humility we should approach you in, to the tablets of stone that remind us of your holy word, the manna which is our daily bread, Aaron's staff that reminds us of that you place authorities where you want them, God. We thank you for these meanings and we thank you for the reminder that in the crucial universal moments of our life, it's us and you. And there's no substitute for those times where it's us and you alone. We can't blame someone else. We also cannot always just rely on someone else to feed us. You are the daily bread. You are the manna from heaven. Please let this go deep in our spirit tonight. Give us a deeper impartation tonight. Oh, Yeshua, we love you so much. We pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, just to whet your appetite, next week we're going to be talking about the number seven and the seven-branched menorah, okay? It's going to be some great stuff. Hallelujah. Let's worship.